Hi, this is Antonio Garrido, author of the 21st Century Ride Along, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. Joining me today is Antonio Garrido. Antonio runs a Sandler training center in Miami, Florida, and works with highly motivated entrepreneurs and business leaders who are ready to commit their time, money, and energy to attract new clients, book more business, and generate stronger profit margins. Antonio is here to talk about his book, The 21st Century Ride-Along, how sales leaders can develop their teams in real-time sales calls. Welcome, Antonio. Hi, Bill. Thanks very much for the, uh, for the invitation. I'm excited to talk to your chaps. I'm excited to be talking with you. Say, Antonio, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Oh, gosh, probably, probably my dad, which probably sounds like ever such a trite and boring answer. You probably get that often. But my father, from he was a genuinely what you would call real-time pauper. I mean, he was completely, he, he grew up in a village in Spain. He was a shepherd. They, they were, had no money. They were, there were seven children because the, uh, the mortality rate was so high. And the first one up wore the shoes. I mean, they, they had nothing whatsoever. But where he ended up, he ended up owning a number of businesses, you know, relatively speaking, from where he started to where he ended up, he was like a multi-billionaire, right? And so he, was, he never went to school, couldn't read or write, but spoke five languages as he passed through countries and didn't know things, but incredibly wise. And one of the things that he used to say to us all the time was own your own business, you know, do be, be a leader in, a, in an organization somewhere. And his expression for that was, it's better to be the head of a mouse than the tail of a lion. And, and I, I heard that a thousand times as I was growing up and he inspired us to do the best that we could. There was never any reason for us not to succeed when we considered where we came from compared to where he came from. Make sense? Yes, it does. He must have been a, a marvelously interesting man to share all these different experiences and perspectives he had. I bet he was a reader too, wasn't he? Well, only in later life. I mean, he's still around, but probably only from his 40s onwards because he never went to school. He genuinely couldn't read. No one had ever taught him to read. And so he would actually, could I give you an example of his sort of logic? Yes. So because he'd never been to school and never actually physically, you know, being told some things. You know, we know, for example, that the earth goes around the sun and the moon goes around the earth. We know that stuff, but we're not born knowing that stuff. So we learned that stuff and no one had ever, uh, had ever taught him that stuff. So he had a very kind of odd logic, right? Because it wasn't constrained by quote unquote kind of formalized learning. So he would say things that oftentimes you'd have to stop and just take a second and think, that kind of works on a bizarre kind of logic, and I agree with it. So an example would be if I said to him, for example, I'd say, you'd never guess what happened today, Dad. This is probably all in Spanish, obviously, but you'd never guess what happened today, Dad. And he'd say, what? And I'd tell him something rather bizarre that would happen, 
And most of us would kind of think about it and, and just dismiss it. But my dad would think about it in his very oblique way of looking at the world, right? And he would say, you know why that, you know why that happened? And I'd go, no, why, Dad? And he'll go, because I think one in a million chances happened nine times out of ten. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you'd think, hold on, did that actually make sense at any level? But he was such an optimistic, such a... The thing, the thing about my dad was he didn't he didn't realize how much he didn't know, right? And so, and so the prospect of failing never daunted him. And it was always like some you some you win and some you learn. And he was like, try again, try again, try again. And he would ask us every week, what have you failed at this week? And if he hadn't failed at anything, he'd be disappointed. But if he had failed at something, he would say, great, because that's made you stronger, that's made you smarter or wiser or better. Do you know what I mean? I mean, a really inspirational chap. Can you think of a time when you were growing up when his wisdom, his example, his logic influenced a decision that you made? Sure, I can think of I can think of many of them, uh, and I I refer to my dad, you know, all the time. Just these just amazing little epithets. One that stuck with me often, and it and has actually heavily guided my life and the life of my family and my children and so on. Because when he grew up, and when I say they had no money, they genuinely had no money, right? I can't emphasize how little money they had. And so when he was then slightly older and he, you know, he found himself in the UK and he worked very hard and bought his first business. And then from there, it was a series of businesses that he would buy. He had a very unusual way of looking at things. And so, look, so for example, he would say, if you can't, so imagine somebody needs a new pair of sneakers or trainers, right? If you needed a new pair of sneakers, he would say, you absolutely must buy the best sneakers, the best trainers that, that there are, and because they would last longer. So kind of false economy didn't make sense to him. And this was from a chap that had no money whatsoever. So, so he would say, this is how he, would, how he would describe it. He would say, if you can't afford it, buy the very best. Right. Yeah. So in other words, if you can't afford a new pair of sneakers, then buy the very best, the ones that are going to last forever, because you'll they will last you longer than four pair, four pairs of crappy trainers. Do you know what I mean? So if you need a car, go and buy a Mercedes in his view, because that was because he kind of looked around the world and thought, you know, the taxis that you see around this was before Uber, of course, the taxis that you see around the world, you know, like in Athens or in Barcelona or Madrid or whatever that would just keep going forever and ever and ever and did hundreds, you know, go around the clock two or three times. They were all Mercedes. So he would think, well, if you can't, if you need a new car and you can't afford it, buy it, buy the best Mercedes so that it would last you till you die. Do you know what I mean? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd way of looking at things. So in other words, false economy is just that. So he would always try and buy the best of of. of the, the best that he could afford, knowing that it would be a struggle perhaps in the short term, but in the long term, it would make much more sense economically. I don't know whether that's a good example, but we say that very often. If you can't afford it, buy the best. Where should we go on holiday? Well, where have you always wanted to go? Fiji, right, let's go there. But it's expensive. Yeah, but it's like the best, so let's do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, in, a, in an odd way, it really stimulates creative, nonlinear thinking to be presented with those interesting challenges. And his optimism, I'm sure, carried a, another measure of believability when he said it. 
Yeah, I, and and he he very much believed <laughs> that we can a hundred percent. And he's right, by the way. But he he very much believes that we can't. Often we can't change the things that happen around us, right? And if we think that we can change the world, you know, then we're crazy. So, like COVID would be a perfect example. There is zero that you or I can do about COVID. So it's an, so how COVID affects you or I is entirely dependent upon our own attitude towards it. And that is 100% in our own control. So, he, you know, he was a risk taker, but very much, you know, everything that happens, good or bad, is, is of our own choosing. You know, we, we decide how things affect us poorly or, 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 or well. So, so it's a decision. So happiness is a decision. Success is a decision. You know, growth is the, is a decision, and he's one hundred percent right. You know, everything's about belief, isn't it? It really does affect behavior, whatever beliefs we hold. Now, in your book, you describe a ride along as providing in the moment feedback, and it's reminiscent of a field sales manager visiting customers with a salesperson on their team, maybe even carrying the sample case. <laughs> What's new and different now in twenty twenty? Well, the beauty of the beauty of again, I'm, and I'm you know looking. I'm not looking specifically just to try and paint a grim picture positively, right? In spite of what I've just said about my dad's attitude to the world, but you know the reality is that the COVID has a this book. Let's be frank, came out about 15 minutes before the world went into lockdown, and for 15 minutes, I thought, crikey, is this the best time ever in the history of the world? to publish a book about ride-alongs, or is this the worst time ever? And for about five minutes, I thought, this is the worst time ever because uh, sales managers aren't going, going to be getting on planes and visiting their, their, their teams in the field. And actually, whilst I was thinking about it, a client of ours who's a VP of a, 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 an enormously large manufacturing company uh, there in the packaging industry with, I don't know, let's say a couple of hundred sales teams around the world, as soon as this lockdown COVID announcement came out where everybody thought, you know, the world is shutting down, he sent an email to the whole of the sales function, which was inspired. And he said, this is terrific. This is the best thing that could happen. This is, he was writing to the manager specifically, so there was, you know, a couple of dozen of those. And he said, and all the time now that it, historically you would have been booking flights, driving to airports, waiting in airports, getting on a flight, flying, landing, and all of that time twice, because you got to go home eventually, is now a free time. So what I want everybody to do is to significantly up their ride-alongs because everything's virtual now. So the beauty of the virtual ride-along, whether it's you know go to meeting, go to training, Zoom, Blue Jeans, whatever platform you're using, is that you don't have that travel time. So the manager has no excuse, right? And and he can organize in his calendar significantly more ride-alongs than ever he could. The other beauty of, you know, kind of modern selling, right, in this, in this new normal, is that if, we're, if the sales team are having uh, virtual meetings, you can record them, which means that you can watch them again and again and again, just like, like the football coach watches game film, right? When you see the people... The, the coaches and the team watching game film, they, they stop it and discuss it and go back and stop it and discuss it and watch it again. And, and so as far as the ride-along is concerned, 
the world as it presents itself to us now with modern technology is actually even better. So we're fortunate. And I'm not, again, I'm not just trying to put a positive spin on it. It's actually true. You know, it's actually the case. So, I mean, those are two very tangible ways that people could look at how to improve their sales teams. I mean, first of all, there's all this discretionary time. And second of all, when you're making calls, it's expected or at least not surprising that you say, hey, is it okay if we record this to make sure that I get all the details down and also use it for training later? That's exactly what I do. That, that's what I do, and that's what we encourage our, our people to do. Beyond that even, right, is not only can you record it, right, and, and, and you're right, because depending on the particular state, as long as you get permission, that's okay. And it would be just as you said, hey, Bill, would it be okay to save me writing like crazy it's okay if i record this and then i can take my notes afterwards and if you'd like you know i, I i'll delete it i'm certainly not going to share it you know outside the company and no one has ever said no to me the other thing is at the same time you know i i use a, a macbook air right and there are other laptops available with an apple product and it's probably exactly the same with any other product i push function twice and it actually gives me a transcript of the whole conversation so it, not only is there a recording and the visual and all of that kind of stuff, I can print out the whole transcript of the operation of the whole meeting and I can copy and paste. And, 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 and so it actually helps me to be more effective and more efficient. And we can share that or part elements of it. When we're doing a debrief, we can say at minute 12, you know, this is what you said. You know, so then, or they said, "Well, of course, I follow that process." And you say, "Well, here's a transcript. Just show me where, because I can't find it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but you don't do it to trap people. It's not a game of gotcha. But, but yeah, you could, you could, if that, <laughs> if you were so minded. Yeah, yeah, sure. Or you say, for instance, you know, we made our agreement and we got started, and you say, mm -hmm. "I thought you blew right by that. Let's go back and listen together because maybe one of us missed something." do it all the time. A client of ours, and she works in a chemical company, small, a smallish chemical company. They provide very high specialist chemicals to colorants in rigid packaging industry. So, you know, for example, like, like Clorox, for example, like they come in like a tube with a bright yellow top, right? And so she was in a meeting with a, a, a prospect of hers. She then sent me the, the recording afterwards. And, you know, so I would go through it and say, so a minute 12.50, you said this, and this was the result. What else do you think could you, because hindsight is just wonderful, isn't it? You know, and, and how many times, how many times we're in a meeting with somebody, you know, or, or in a conversation with somebody, it could be your spouse, right? Or your children. And three hours later, you think, I should have, when they said that, I should have said this, right? And so uh, that's the beauty of being able to stop the recording and say, you know, you know, what did you do there? Which is how they train pilots. You know, that's what how Top Gun works. It's how they train surgeons and uh, all of those. You know, there's millions of professions that use this technique to, to improve. Now, one thing that I know is true about technology is that if you don't have a good process, technology can just accelerate something that's already mediocre. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that is the problem, isn't it? So yeah. So then you just dreadful faster. <laughs> so Don't want to head in that direction. So you lay out seven really important areas to talk about that if people haven't been doing formal ride-alongs, that it's important to go through 
at least some of these in order to add some structure and uh, gain ideas for how to improve the ways that we give feedback in general and for sales managers and sales professionals in particular. And the first one you start off with is not having a formalized game plan. It seems obvious to people that, listen, I'm going to listen in on a sales call, and then I'm going to give you some constructive feedback on how to improve later. Is that the extent of a formalized game plan, or do you encourage people to go even further? And what does it look like when you say, now we've got a formalized game plan for this ride along? I think, you know, we encourage, but not just for the purposes of ride along, we we encourage every single sales professional, right? And, and that's at any level. So that could be somebody, even if they're uh, death-based, incoming calls only, and they're more like strategic customer care than, than you know, active, proactive, outbound sales calls, right? So they could be just dealing with inbound sales calls, all the way up to like exec VP of, you know, uh, revenue or CRO, or, you know, whatever they're called, but everything along the way, whether it's in, you know, global accounts, national accounts, whether it's in you know, local markets, that there should never be an interaction with a client prospect or a, a, an opportunity without first having a pre-call plan. It really is one of the golden, golden rules. And I know that lots of your listeners will be listening and thinking, yeah, maybe for the big gigs, right? Maybe for the, you know, for you know, once a month or something. But the real the way that we improve, the way that salespeople or any other profession get better is they have to have some goals declared. They have to have a pre-call plan or flight plan if you're a pilot, going back to pilots, right? So you have to have a plan because otherwise, you're just relying on your experience, you know, tenure and just, you know, time Antonio, Yeah. Say, I wonder if you could give me an example of creating a formalized game plan and what it sounds like so people can understand that this is different from your KPIs or your quarterly goals. A game plan is getting into this call and it gets really specific. So share with me an example, if you will. Sure. Well, so I, I wouldn't want anybody to any sales guy to go into a call without knowing exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve, right? What is my primary objective? What is my fallback objective? You know, at Sandler, and I don't want to, you know, make this a whole Sandler conversation, but at Sandler, what we do is we have an upfront contract and that basically determines or gets agreement upfront with the prospect or the client to exactly what's going to happen in that, in that meeting. So the part of the, part of the pre-call plan would be well, let's actually script out and practice the key elements of, of the call, right? So not only our objectives and our fallbacks and, and so on, but also what does our upfront contract look like? And if you are there with your manager, right, I would expect you to have also role-played some, some of these issues. So pre-call plan is who's going to be there, how long is the meeting going to take, what are we going to cover, what are our objectives, what's our, what's our secondary objectives what are the things that we for sure are going to put on our agenda what's going to be on their agenda and so that we have this this absolutely crystallized in our mind before we go in because otherwise it's just we're going to drift or the prospect's going to be in charge of the call and that's not what we want right so we want to be in control in a way that allows them to be in control of course so it's permission-based selling but if we don't have a plan it's almost like a dance right and so 
if I'm in a dance with somebody and I don't know how to dance, who leads the dance? The other guy, right? And so it basically, it lays out for me what it is that's going to happen and what my response will be to certain elements of it, what my objectives are. And, and of course, there's no point in having a pre-call plan, no formalized pre-call plan, if we then don't afterwards review it. So it bookends, it bookends. Before we go there, before we go to reviewing it and having the debrief, there are also some faults that could happen, like being unclear of the the process or the roles. Or the outcomes, yeah. So the roles, for example, if you're there with your manager, uh, I'm talking to the sales guy now, not necessarily talking to the manager. But So if you're there with your manager, if we haven't agreed up front what my, you know, what the sales professional's role is, what the manager's role in role is, then there's going to be a lot of confusion. And there's also going to be some bystanders. There's also going to be, you know, some people fall into trap. So if I were doing a, a pre-call plan, either in the car or virtually these days with my manager, I would say, so, so here's what, here's, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. So ideally the manager is going to observe and not get involved and not try and rescue and not try and quote unquote fix things. So, so in an ideal situation, the manager there is there to observe. Now, very oftentimes the client, you know, the prospect, the client or the prospect, they know that the manager's in the in the meeting. And so they are going to very often try and focus the, the meeting towards the manager. And so the, the temptation for the manager to answer on behalf of the sales professional is very high. You know, it takes some, it takes some, this is why we have to agree this up front, right? It takes some resistance to instead of answering the question rather to deflect and say, I don't know, Frank, what, what do you think the answer to that would be, right? And it's a bit like... Is it really, is it resistance or more discipline in order to stay on roll? It absolutely is discipline. And if you ever, are you, do you ever watch Star Trek? Are you a friend oh, sure. Of, are you a friend of, right. The, the prime directive, right? The number one directive is this non-interference policy, right? So, so you have to be, you have to be, well, I'm going to say Picard or Kirk or you know, depending on depending on your age, but but you you have to be incredibly disciplined, and the the prospect is going to want the manager to answer all of the questions. Problem with that though is it actually devalues the sales professional in their eyes, and the next time any issues come up, they're going to circumvent the sales professional and going to go straight to the manager, the guy that gave them all the answers before. So it takes an enormous amount of discipline. You're right. You're right. That's exactly right. And then talk for a moment about the follow-up, the debrief, and why that's important. Well, that's actually where the magic happens, in the debrief, because we can all have a plan, right, which is great, and you should never do anything without a plan because it improves efficiency and effectiveness. But, But that in and of itself, without the debrief, doesn't aid learning, right? So that's where that's where the coaching comes in. That's where the improvement comes in. So you know, there isn't a, a sports manager would, after every game, they would dissect the game. They would have a plan in advance to say, if they get ahead, we'll do this. If they do that, we'll do this. And this is how we're going to defend free kicks and all of that kind of stuff. And then after the game, they'll then debrief it and say, what did we learn? What did we learn? What did we learn? And that's really where the improvement comes. So if you do a pre-call plan and then the event and then don't debrief it, you may as well, you know, not have done the first, you know, the, the pre-call plan in the first place. So you only need a, a, like five, 10 minutes tops on the front end in terms of the pre-call plan, but on the back end, as much time as you can. 
And if you think of, you know, Top Gun, you know, the chats that, not the movie, but the actual real place, the Top Gun, when they have um, a plan for, you know, one of their uh, events or skirmishes, right, dogfight, they will plan it for probably for about 10 minutes, the encounter, the engagement where one's trying to, you know, shoot the other one out of the sky, you know, theoretically, not actually. Uh, and then they'll debrief. And they debrief typically for about 45 minutes for every minute in theatre, right, in the engagement. And I'm not saying we do it to that extent, but I'm saying that, that, that they spend 45 minutes discussing every single minute because they recognize that that's where the real value is. And that sense of proportion is something that everyone listening can really take away because it, it matters how you debrief in how quickly you advance the skills, capabilities, awareness, and achievements of your team. And that's really the point of making the investment is to help people advance and be more successful. That's the only point. That's, you know, that's, the, that's the primary point. So, you know, the sales manager want to you know results what do they want they want to meet their goals kpis and they only do that if they improve the quality and behaviors attitudes and techniques of the sales team and this is the single best fastest most effective way to do that and and there are some organizations there's an organization you know that i know very well very famous big brand right and they they are very clear what the manage, sales manager's role is, and 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 it is to improve the leading indicators, in other words, behaviors, attitudes, and techniques of the sales guys, because they know that if they work on that, just like a football coach or a basketball coach or a baseball coach on the training ground, then you know the results will come. So the leading indicators are the times of the number of times that they do their preparation the number of debriefs they have. What are two or three of the leading indicators and two or three of the lagging indicators? So leading indicators might be, for example, well, so for sure it would be, you know, kind of did you do your pre-call plan and all of that kind of stuff. That goes that saying because we just talked about that, right? But there would also, it would be how many of this particular call are we, are we, are we making? So for example, we might have, is this a keep course? In other words, it's a client that we have to keep. So we need to do a certain number of keep calls. Is this an attain call, right? So are we going to go and go and get somebody new? We need a certain number of attain calls. Is it a recapture call? Somebody that we used to have as a client, but now isn't, or is it an expand, right? Let's go wider and deeper in a client. So we'd need to think about, well, how many keeps, attains, regains, and expands. And they're the leading indicators, the, the, if you like, it's the behavioral plan, right? So every week we're doing four of these, three of these, two of these, and one of those. So a leading indicator may be their behaviors, but it could also be, it could be, did we stick to our plan? Did we ask the right questions? Did we do our presentation in the right way? Did we not just quote and forget? Did we follow up, right? There's lots of activity that if you do that, the, the, the front-loaded activity well, then that kind of guarantees the, the lagging indicator, which is the dollars and the orders and the conversion rates, which is what everybody concentrates on. You know, a, a manager might look at, at somebody on an Excel spreadsheet and they're 100% of their target, and they would say to themselves almost naturally, well, Frank's doing a great job because he's 100%, so Frank therefore must be a good guy. Well, actually, there's no real correlation that all you're doing is looking at the lagging indicator. But if you're looking at the lead, leading indicator saying, 
How many of these is he doing? How many of those is he doing? What are his conversion rates, right? What's his forecast accuracy, for example, right? Then then we can determine, because Frank could be 100% because somebody bought his client and now, you know, a monkey could do that job, right? And the other thing is, you and I were talking before we came on air, right? That what often then happens is Frank's 100% of his target. The manager leaves and someone says, okay, Frank, you seem to know what you're doing. Tick your it, right? Now you're the new manager based on what, right? Based on, on lagging indicators only and not lead, leading indicators. Well, I think what's important is for people listening and understanding that you can manage things that are within your control. You could manage the things that are the behaviors and the outreach and the attempts. What you can only influence is bringing the quality of those behaviors to influence the lagging indicators, which are the successful calls, the conversions, and you know the, the margins. Yeah, exactly. And ride-alongs help us concentrate on those leading indicators, don't they? That's where we get better. So speaking of ride-alongs again, what would be three ride-along habits or practices that you want everyone listening, regardless of the size of their business, the number of salespeople they have, or the industry? What are the three golden ride-along habits that you want everyone listening to adopt? Well, first of all, pre-call plans, which we've talked about. It, it is absolutely critical that we know what our aims for the call are. We just need to very well understand that and what's our strategy for the call. So I'm going to put that as one thing. Would you give me that those two things as a one? It, it's a, a multi-part <laughs> number one. There you go. Okay, good. Okay, which is, so that pre-call plan, critical, right? I think that as far as the manager and the individual, let's agree our roles. Let's agree what you're there to do. Let's agree what I'm there to do. And let's stick to our roles. And in the book, we talk a lot about how to deal with things if they go off track, right? And then practice the key elements in advance, really. So I, I'm almost like the success of the ride-along is dependent upon the preparation in advance, right? So it's those three things practice the key elements. And then if I can get another one in, observe everything, right? So that the manager observes, you know, everything, tonality and records everything. And then, uh, you know, three, I can't do it in three bills. It's got to be five. And then the last one is the review. So the last one is, but, but interestingly enough, this isn't just for, you know, huge multi-billion dollar organizations with the very complex sales processes, right? This can go from, you know, if you can imagine the sales world is, it's kind of split into four, let's say four disciplines, if you like. That there are those that have very short sales cycles and it's and it's not really it's demand fulfillment, short sales cycle. That's commodity sales, right? So this works beautifully well in commodity sales, where you only get one chance to kind of make the right first impression and get it right because it's a one call close. So you can't afford to quote unquote mess those up. So this works beautifully in commodity sales. It doesn't have to be those very, very long consultative sales, which is demand generation and long sales cycle. So it works in any sales cycle, long and short. Commodity sales, whether you're in account sales, whether you're consultative sales or unique value sales. So there isn't any part of the sales arena that this isn't entirely applicable for and big or small, right? And whether it's inbound or outbound. So what we're really saying more than anything else is be very intentional about your behaviors, right? Be very intentional about what you're doing. Make sure that you're well-practiced because you know, we're none of us that filled with opportunities that it's okay if we mess 
50% of the map, right? And be very intentional, like in the same way that your surgeon, your architect, your dentist, right? <laughs> you don't want them making mistakes, right? So be very intentional, plan everything up front, practice the key elements, review it afterwards. With a manager who who really is more than anything else you, uh, your coach, right? So one of the things that we train when we're training managers how to do, how, how you know, what's their responsibility in terms of field accompaniment, it's coaching. It's not, it's not the use of directed authority to say, do this and then do that and then do something else. It really is coaching afterwards. And so we want managers to. Antonio, when you're talking to sales managers and explaining the role of coach, how do you help them stay clear on their role is not to give the answer or have the right answers, but help the sales professionals they're working with develop the right answers and struggle with it so that they really internalize it? Yeah. And it's very difficult for lots of managers to do that because very few managers are really trained how to be a coach. And they're not even trained on, on ride-alongs. All they know is the example that they were set, you know, that they, that they endured, I'm going to say, because I, I, have, I, have, I was a sales professional one time with, with, with some terrible, <laughs> terrible managers, right, who didn't know how to coach. And all they would do is say, do this, do that, do the other, which is, you know, this use of directed authority is managing them. But actually managing, you can only manage people's behaviors. You can't manage somebody's beliefs or value sets, or, or help people understand. It's just like your kids, right? So we tell our kids to do something because they have to do them like brushing their teeth and washing their hands before dinner, right? But, but we, can't, we can't manage everything that our children do. What we as parents try to do is instill in our children the right kind of value sets, the right kind of beliefs. And we do that, it, we do that by coaching, not by managing. In the book, we say, who was the best coach you have ever, ever, ever worked with? And people mention names of, you know, the great and the good. Uh, and I said, no, it was your mum. Your mum is the best coach you've ever, you've ever met. Why? Or whoever brought you up, right? Why? Because they were nurturing. They wanted the best for you. They didn't tell you how to do everything. They guided you through things, through your problems. They helped you through your problems. They helped you see the world, quote, unquote, in the right way. They didn't just bark at you for your first whole 18 years of your life. I mean, they did when you messed up, but they spent most of their time coaching you because it's difficult to know how, you know, if, you, if you're trying to teach a baby how to walk and they fall over, you don't belt them, do you? You know, you pick them up and you dust them off and you start again. And so we're constantly telling our managers, hey, you have to have the right intent here, right? You have to come at this with a nurturing intentionality. Well put. Antonio, what, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> okay. All right. So earlier I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up. When you were a teenager, what song did you find inspiring? Uh, American Trilogy by Elvis Presley. Do you remember the worst thing about having your sales manager on a ride along when you were a salesman pro? Yeah, because it was always, it was, he wasn't there to help me. He was there to catch me out. What's the most effective way that you use to get the word out about your mission and your business each week? Live our core values. And how does that manifest? That we tell people what we're doing. So we're saying it would be very easy to respond in this way, but we believe that we are honest, so, this, so we're going to do this. We believe that we are dedicated, so, we're going to, so we don't just tell them what we're going to do. We give them the reason for why we do it. 
And where do you share that? Everywhere. At every meeting, every decision we have to make, we measure it against our core values. We say, what's the, what would we do that would be consistent with this? And what would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? Oh, I bought a Ferrari, a Lego kit, Ferrari Lego kit, because I bought it for me and my kids just think it's the best thing. And so we're now buying Lego like crazy and doing them together. That's fun. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I have started getting up earlier and journaling, and it's not expensive to do. And what would you say is a change that's occurred as a result of not sleeping in late and just starting your day <laughs> randomly, but using the journaling? I, yeah, I'm much more intentional about the day. So I, 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 I write, one of the things I write is, I will not go to bed tonight until this one thing is done. It makes me incredibly focused. And hopefully it's a leading indicator that you've <laughs> chosen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a leading indicator to, to uh, ensure a lagging, a lagging result. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Excellent. So you start off your book with a quiz question that says, of all the things a sales manager has to achieve, what's the single most important task? And the choices are A, to ensure that this month's sales goal is exceeded. B, to ensure that the company's customers are delighted. C, to support the sales staff in achieving their personal goals. And D, to develop the sales and customer-facing staff. All of those sound like they're aspects of a sales manager's roles and responsibility. Right. And interestingly enough, when I ask people that question, I have asked many people that question, right? So interestingly enough, I'm going to say the less enlightened ones go for A or B. The more enlightened ones go for C or D. But the really enlightened ones, right, can the, the best uh, go for D because their job is to improve their team. That's their job. That, that's the top and bottom of their job and everything else is noise. It really is about developing capacity. And that's why sales managers are so important to businesses of all sizes. So Antonio Garrido, author of the 21st Century Ride Along, I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best today. I'm going to highlight a couple of the key points that we talked about. And starting off with your dad, who helped inspire you because he understood you know, the importance of minding your own business and gave you some key things to think about. Like, it's better to be the head of a mouse than the tail of a lion. And then helped you see how successful he could become just by applying his logic and being optimistic and determined and always making sure that he treats people well and to continue to persist. And teaching you things that reminded me of Groucho Marx, such as, if you can't afford it, buy the very best. Oh, did Groucho Marx say that as well? I don't know, but I sure, you know, could easily see the attribution. I could, I could absolutely imagine him saying it, but I promise you it's my dad. <laughs> it's good. And we talked about the ride-alongs and the importance of those, because especially for sales managers, it's the fastest and most effective way to really improve your sales staff. The debrief is where the magic happens. And where it's really important, you look in other areas of society, say that where they're training pilots to fly in jets that cost you know $100 million, 
they debrief really seriously for 45 minutes for every minute of flight time. So there are a lot of things to look at. It's not necessary to have that ratio, but you should establish some ratio to institutionalize and to show how important it is in your business. We talked about the differences between leading and lagging indicators, and we expanded the three habits for successful ride-alongs to five so that everyone's making sure that they start off with their pre-call plans. They have role agreement. They practice, so they develop this. And the, the manager observes, and there's a review to really solidify and gain the wisdom from the ride-alongs. It's important to make those investments. The manager as coach is not an easy role. It's a vital role, though. And it's really important to make sure that you're managing behaviors, not the beliefs, because that just leads to frustration. Think of your mother rather than as a school teacher that just told you what to do. Your mother guided you and gave you examples and told you stories and was there to support you in always making sure that you knew that she was there to succeed. Effective sales coaches, effective sales managers do the same. So for these reasons and so many more, Antonio Garrido author of the 21st Century Ride-Along, How Sales Leaders Can Develop Their Teams in Real-Time Sales Calls. I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks, Phil. It's been great. Say, before we say goodbye for now, Antonio, tell me, where can we find out more about you and your work online? Gosh, I'm all over the place. I've got articles all over the place. But, but check me out on my website, which is www.absolute, a absolute dot sandler s-a-n-d-l-e-r absolute.sandler.com you'll see me there and the whole team and lots of thought leadership posts and blogs and come even crash a come crash one of our classes as my guest thank you so much once again it was a pleasure we're going to link to your website mm -hmm. as well as your social media channels so that's very easy for people to follow you sure find me on linkedin fantastic Antonio, thanks again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks, Bill. It's been great. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.